Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that Connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Morning, Welcome to Big Valley Grace. Glad you're here today. What a special day. Isn't it a day? A beautiful day. And we've got a great day ahead of us. I'm glad that you're here and you, that you've made decisions to say, Lord, on this day, we want to start out with you and spend time with you. Uh, you should have received a uh, handout when you came in. If you didn't, just raise your hand. Our ushers are prepared and we'll help you. Just keep them up high. But uh, it's going to be helpful. There's some here in the back. Uh, but anyway, we want you to take this home. There'll be uh, things that you can study when you go home with it, too. Uh, but on the front sheet, uh, I want you to write down just a couple things. One, I want you to write down a date, May 4th. It's a Thursday, May 4th. I don't know if you're aware of it, but for the last 70 years, Congress has, um, I don't know if, if you call it an edict or a command, or I don't know if it's a law, but the, the President of the United States for over the 70 years has declared May 4th as a day of prayer and fasting for a nation, calling God's people to come together to stand in the gap uh, for our nation, May 4th. And if you go to bvg.org slash prayer, we have a website that will help facilitate this day. We're going to have, we have three opportunities by which uh, we will be engaged as a church family on this particular day. Personally, I think every church in Modesto, every church across the land ought to come together for prayer, and we're going to be one of those. So one way is to connect on a 24-hour um, day of prayer, meaning that we have 24 slots where you can say, um, Pastor Lonnie, whoever, you know, on, on 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to engage in that hour in prayer. 2 o'clock in the morning. Some of us leave early to go across the hill for work. You leave early in the morning and you say, you know, I'm traveling at 3 o'clock. I'm going to spend a prayer. Some of us don't have to go to work early. We're still up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you can say, count me in. I'm going to pray. Whatever it is, fill up those slots of prayer. If your, work, if your uh, if day allows it, in the altar room from 7 to 4, 7 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, pastors and elders will be there to guide us through a day of prayer. We're going to have stations all around the outskirts of this auditorium where you can go from station to station to station to pray for the various needs of our nation our community. So if, you're, if your schedule allows it before work, come here for an hour, spend time in prayer, you're welcome to do that. We'll have pastors and staff there to be able to help you. The last opportunity is at 6.30 at night. We're going to meet in the venue. I hope we pack the place out. And, we're going to, and we, again, we're going to spend an hour to an hour and 15 minutes or so praying for the needs of our nation. Folks, we need to pray. We need to pray. I was just thinking the other day what it must be like to be a school, high school PE teacher in our community today. You may not be aware of what our public high schools are having to face. Imagine you being a person who follows Christ, who loves the word of God, and you're in charge of the PE, and uh, you're, 
and you have a boy that wants to shower with the girls. And by law, you have to allow that to happen. And by law, you're not required to tell moms and dads what's going on. Folks, that's happening in our community. I'm not making up. That is happening in our community in several of our high schools here in Modesto. Imagine being a Christian public school teacher, a public school administrator that has to deal with that. And your job's at risk. Folks, we need to pray. That's the point. We need to pray. On your sheet, write down Ezekiel 22.30. 22.30. Look it up when you get home. In chapter 22, God is speaking. He says, Israel, I love you with all my heart, but you are way adrift. You're a boat that has lost its anchor. You're out on the seas. You're, you have strayed so far away from me. I'm going to bring judgment upon your land. That's the summary of 22. In verse 30, it says, And I looked throughout the land for someone who would build the walls and stand in the gap. I was looking for a man who would do that. You know what the rest part of the verse says? It says, I found none. God was looking. He found none. And judgment came. Folks, we need to stand in the gap. Every church needs to stand in the gap. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, we are a chosen people. We are a holy priesthood. You know what priests do? Priests offer sacrifices of prayer in behalf of someone else to the holy and mighty God in heaven. All of us are priests. You may not feel like a priest, and you're not dressed like one, right? <laughs> but we're called to pray. We're called to be people of prayer. And so March 4th is a great opportunity to stand in the gap. And if you go to our website, bbg.org uh, uh, bbg prayer, we'll give you all sorts of resources on how to pray. How to pray for our pastors. We need to pray for our pastors. Our pulpits need to be aflamed with the, with the power of God. Uh, we need to pray for their families. Their families are in great jeopardy. We need to pray. Uh, we need to pray for our churches. We need to pray for our community. And lots of resources and help you to how to knowledgeably how to pray. So please take advantage of that. We also have some wonderful resources out on the nook. T today we're going to be talking about prayer. Did you get that? <laughs> uh, about the rhythm of prayer. And uh, the Nook has some wonderful resources on how to study the Word, how to pray, as well as how to take the Sabbath and you really use it and set aside for the Lord. Take advantage of some of these resources. These are two that I've read, Richard Foster on prayer and Tim, Kelly, uh, Tim Keller uh, on prayer. Excellent, excellent, excellent resources. I'm not familiar with Paul Miller, but uh, Roberta has picked this book out and all of these would be helpful to you in developing the habit of prayer. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. So take your Bibles. hope you brought your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have them to give out over in the altar room. In fact, right after the service, if you need prayer, please go to the altar room. We're a church that prays. And uh, this message today, we're going to walk through uh, Matthew chapter 6 in just a moment. I hope that you have a Bible, because we're going to be flipping back and forth on what's called the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Um, let's go into the Word, right? Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 1 and verses 5 through 15. So if you're with me, I'm reading out the New American Standard. And uh, the verses are going to be up on the screen, but please look through your Bible or your phone and become familiar with the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking, and he says this to his disciples. and He warns them. Notice the warnings that are here. Also notice the number of times where he says, Father, 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 Father. And notice the number of times he says, secret, secret, secret. All these things are significant or key words. So here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of your practicing, of practicing your righteousness before men. And he's going to list three 
acts of righteousness. Giving, that's a good thing, right? But giving can be corrupted by our motives. How we pray can be corrupted by our motives and how we fast can be corrupted by our motives. And he's gonna deal with hard issues in those three areas. So beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Don't be that kind of person. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And all of this, he's going to encourage us to always seek the Father's reward. Drop down now to verse 5. So when you pray, and notice what it says when, not if you pray or should you pray, but when you pray. Jesus has full expectation that his people are going to be seeking him out and praying. That's communicating with God. So when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite, the word for hypocrite is an actor, a pretender, somebody who conveys something that they really are not. So think of the Lone Ranger, right? The guy playing the Lone Ranger was not really a cowboy. He couldn't really shoot straight, but in the movies he could. In the movies he was. But in real life, he wasn't. And he says, don't be like that. Don't be a pretender. Don't be an actor. Be the real deal. So when you pray, you're not to be like a pretender. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. That's why they're doing it. Truly, I say to you that they have the reward in full. Verse 6. But you, referring to you and me and other disciples, but you, when you pray. Again, not if you pray or should, or if you get around to praying. When you pray, Go into your inner room. You close your door. You pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Another warning. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many, many words. Verse 8. So do not be like them. Do not be like those who pray meaninglessly. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Praise the Lord. Now in verse 9, we're going to give a model as to how to pray. It's an outline how to pray. It's not to be like a lyric to pray. This is a pattern for how we are to pray. So here's how this pattern is to be played out. This is how you pray then in this way. Here we go. Our Father who sees in secret, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in where? Heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's a key verse. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, which means that you're harboring bitterness and anger towards someone else that's unresolved, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of your word. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have it. I'm grateful, Lord, that we can read it here today. And our desire here today is not to be those who just hear the word of God, but, Lord, that we would obey the word of God. That our lives, Lord, would orient ourselves underneath you, that we would recognize that we are your workmanship, we are the sheep of your pasture, that you are the shepherd of our lives, you're the captain of our ship. 
Lord, you're the one who have made us. You have plans for us, not for calamity, but for a future and a hope. And Lord, we are best when we are under your keep. And so, Lord, like a shepherd, would you direct our steps? Would you lead us, Lord, through the various mountaintops and valleys? Lord, we would find our comfort knowing that we are in your hands. And would you glorify yourself and exalt yourself, most holy Father, through us and in us. And so, Lord, today we, we uh, say, Lord, open our ears that we might hear. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our hearts that we might receive. And if any, Lord, here today who are far away, that today would be the day that they begin walking near to you, coming close to you. To that any, Lord, who are captivated by the enemy, that day they would find freedom in Christ today. And Lord, if anyone who is in the desert and stale, that they would find refreshment in you like an oasis today. So we give you the praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you two quotes. One comes from a book that was written a long, long, long time ago. It's called The Kneeling Christian. The author says this, do you realize that there's nothing the devil dreads so much as prayer? Think about that. We have a very active enemy of our soul. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone whom he might devour. He's active around us. And he would like to do nothing better than to have you so preoccupied that you do not have time to pray. It says, do we realize there's nothing the devil dreads so much as prayer? His great concern is to keep us from praying. He loves to see us up to our eyes in work. This was written hundreds of years ago. <laughs> He loved to see us up to our eyes in work, provided that we do not pray. He does not fear that we are eager and earnest Bible students. That doesn't worry him. <laughs> what he worries is that we spend time in prayer. We are little in prayer. Henry Blackaby wrote this. He said, prayer is not designed to change God. It's designed to change us. I've had individuals say to me, well, I've tried prayer. It doesn't work. Uh, their view of God is like a Santa Claus. And they said, in fact, I had a friend, we were driving back from a hunting trip, and he looked at the rear view mirror and said, Lonnie, you need to pray right now. I got, some, I got a police officer behind me. <laughs> and when he still got the ticket, he said, now, nope, see, prayer doesn't work. <laughs> it's not designed to change God. It's designed to change us. It's a terrible misunderstanding of who God is and what prayer was. Prayer is not calling God in to bless our activities. Rather, prayer takes us into God's presence he shows us his will, and he prepares us to obey him. That is what prayer is about. So when we talk about prayer, what is it? Prayer is communion with God. That's in your outline. Prayer is communion with God. Now, what do we mean by that? So when, if we were to do a word association, when we think of communion, you're probably going to think of the brass place with little cups of juice and bread in it. That's not what we're talking about. Communion is not the bread and the cup. Communion is fellowship with God. It's intimacy with God. Prayer is the most intimate act that we can have with our Savior and our Creator. It's the closest, most intimate relationship with the Creator that you and I can have. It's sitting in our Father, Heavenly Father's lap. It's pouring out a heart to him. Now, for those of you who have children, imagine your child, if the only time that your child wanted your attention and wanted to be with you is if you could give them stuff. You ever had that experience? <laughs> daddy, daddy, oh, son, how, how come you all this niceness? Okay, what is it you want? <laughs> no, dad, I just want to be with you. You know, the human relationships that we have that become meaningful, that is the same that the Father would have for us. He waits for us. He says, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things. He invites us to, to have fellowship with him. 
He says, cast all your cares upon me because I care deeply for you. He assures us that, that I'll never leave you, I'll never desert you. He tells us no matter how high in the mountains we go, how deep into the sea that we go, no matter where we are at, while maybe no one else knows we are, he does. He never leaves us. He's always with us. He says he has plans for us, not for calamity, but for a future and a hope. So prayer is the most intimate relationship that we can have with the Father. It's really preparing us for heaven. And we come to him, and we'll see here in just a minute, through his word, into fellowship and relationship with him. But he warns us, look at chapter 6 now, and he warns us about two things that we need to watch out for in terms of our heart motivation. Look at verse 5. So when we pray, watch out, don't be like a pretender. Don't be like an actor. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't come to me for the show. You come to me in secret. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what the Lord is looking for. You want to be with me? Or are you just doing it so that you can, get, you can check off a box or that somebody would say, wow, look at you pray. Don't be that way. We are to seek the pleasure of God, not the pleasure of men. That's what Matthew 6, 1 and verse 5 says. We're also to avoid meaningless words and repetition. In fact, what's really wonderful in that verse, it says in verse 8, it says, don't be like them for your father in heaven knows what you need before him. Well, so why then, if he knows my needs, why is he asking me to pray? There's something he wants to do in me when I come to him. If I don't pray, I'm saying, God, I don't need you. But when I humble myself, God, I need you. I can't, go for, I can't take another step forward without you. God, would you fill my heart? I need hope. I need peace. Lord, I need help. I'm anxious. Lord, would you, I want to cast this care upon you. That's what the Father is waiting for. And I don't need an endless stream of meaningless, nonsensical, unintelligible words. And if you go on the internet and watch and just type in the thing, you know, in YouTube and type in prayer, you'll see efforts of people that'll say the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again, again over and over and over again. And it means nothing. And God says, I'm not impressed by all of your words. I want to know what's on your heart. A great example of this is in 1 Kings. If you get a chance to go to Israel, this will be one of your first stops. It'll be on Mount Carmel, where Elijah um, met with the uh, 400 prophets of Baal, and they had a big contest. And the contest was, is who, which God is alive and which God listens. And it's a dramatic story. It really happened. There's a real place, and you can go there, and you can see this is where this thing took place. And, and so up on the mountain, they come. 400, imagine 400, 400. It's about as many as that are here today. 400 prophets of Baal, all committed to serving Baal with all of their heart. And they're going to pray and ask Baal to bring fire down out of heaven to consume their sacrifice. So they begin early in the morning, they end at late at night. And as you read the story, there's one thing they said again and again and again and again and again all day. They pranced around, they, they danced around, they cut themselves, and they said, Baal, hear us, Baal, hear us, Baal, hear us, Baal, hear us, over and over and over again is what they said meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Around noontime, Elijah says, you know, maybe he's on the toilet right now. Maybe you need to cry a little bit harder. I mean, really, that's what it says. Or maybe he's on vacation right now. Maybe you need to just sing a little louder. All day, the same thing again and again and again and again. And Jesus, you don't need to do that. And what's really interesting, after they get all worn out, I'll say, it's my turn now. Elijah builds a little altar, Puts on his animal sacrifice, 
pours water, gobs of water all over the place. Looks up into heaven and says, Lord, would you light this thing up? Boom! <laughs> it happened. The simplicity of a prayer. James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And, Paul, and Jesus warns us here, don't let your prayer life be wrapped up in meaningless repetition. I'm not like that. I know what's your need. Just bring it to me. Just be honest with me. Pour out your heart to me. There's nothing that you're going to say that's going to offend me. Yeah, you can cry all you want. You can stomp your feet, throw your little tantrum. I'm big enough to put my arms around you and say, it's okay, honey. That's okay. I got you. We got this. Trust me. So how ought we to pray? And that's where we're in verse 9. So how ought we to pray? The first thing is that we need to know who we're talking to. Look at verse 9. Here's how we pray. And I like the words, our daddy, father in heaven. I don't know if you've had a good experience or a bad experience with a father. Whether it's good or bad, you haven't, you don't, there's nothing that beats our heavenly father. Our father who art in heaven, what does it say? Hallowed be thy name. How special is your name? How unique is your name? How set apart is your name? You're coming to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're coming to the great I Am. You're coming to the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who is and was and will be and is coming again. And there is none like him. And then when we come into his presence, the psalmist says, when we come into his presence, we come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We give thanks to him. We bless his name for God is good. And he's the shepherd of our lives. And when we come into his presence, we recognize who it is that we are talking to. If you get an opportunity, go into our altar room and look at the names of the Lord that are written on the wall. Those are just a few of the names that, are, that you'll find in the Old and New Testament, the names of God. The one that I like is Elroy, R-O-I. He's the God who sees. And he's the God who knows my name. Isn't that neat? That the God of all creation, out of 8 billion people, he sees you. He knows your name. And his ears are open. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to embrace you. He's ready to keep you into his arms and into his hands like a loving shepherd. So when we come to him, we need to know who we're talking to. The second thing that we need to know <laughs> is that we need to desire what God desires. Look at verse 10. Our desire should be, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to think about the things that are going on in your life. I know in this audience and others that will be listening, there's a lot of stories that are here. Some of you are dealing with cancer, with Parkinson's disease, MS, depression, alcoholism, Marital discord. I, I, I just, you know the list, it's huge, right? And we're coming into the presence of our Heavenly Father who we can call Daddy, who sees what we do in secret. And we say, Lord, would your kingdom come in my life? Would your kingdom come and your will be done in this issue of my life, in this depression of my life, in this cancer of my life, in this disease of my life? Lord, this is all, you know all about it. You have a story that you're building in me. This may be my ticket home with you. Until then, Lord, I want to live it for you. 
Don't let this thing be wasted in my life because through these things, you're going to bring, bring into contact with people, some of which will have no hope. Lord, you, would you use me to be the hope bearer to those that I see in the waiting rooms and the nurses and the doctors that I see or my neighbors that I see and my friendships that I have at workplace? Lord, would you help me to be a hope bearer for you? So, Lord, may your kingdom come, Lord. In my life, Lord, may your kingdom come in my life. Will your will be done in my life? Not my will, but your will be done, just as it's done in heaven. The Lord delights in that prayer that we take this thing as such a burden to us and say, not my will, but your will be done. Take this story. For, Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that anyone could ever ask or imagine according to your great power that works within us to the glory, listen to this, to the glory of Jesus Christ in the church, the body of Christ, forever and ever and ever and ever. May that be done. We need to get our desires right. We need to desire what God desires. And then he invites us now to cast all of our cares upon him, casting every care about him. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. He invites us to ask. See that? Jesus has given us permission to ask, Lord, would you give to me what I need today? And notice how the word daily bread. Lord, would you give to me what I need the rest of the year? Because I'm just going to ask this one time. No. The picture is of the Israelites who journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness. And every single day, God gave them exactly what they needed for that day. And if you flip over just a few, uh, few verses in Matthew chapter 6, it says, don't worry about what you should eat, what you should drink, or what you should wear. For the Gentiles worry about those things because they don't know who I am. But you do. But you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all the things that the Gentiles worry about. I'll provide for you because I know the birds of the field. I know your name. And I care more about you than the birds, of the birds of the air or the flowers of the field. Trust me. So don't let the day's own problems be sufficient for the day. I got, I got tomorrow. Trust me. Wait upon me. Give it to me. But Lord, would you provide what I need today? Not just in terms of food, but protection. Would you provide for me the, a success in my job today? Would you provide for me to help me to be the husband that my wife needs today? And My wife... Praise the Lord, would you provide for me what I need to be a blessing and encouragement to my husband today? I can take every one of those needs and I can bring him right before the Father and invite me. Say, just ask, what is it you need today? And then, look, then moving on, what does he say? After verse 11, well, this is a big one, isn't it? And forgive us our debts as we forgive have forgiven our debtors and drop down the 14 and 15 for if we forgive others for their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others then your father will not forgive your transgressions see how important it is that you and I have wholesome and good horizontal relationships I mean we certainly want this great relationship with heavenly father where we can come to him and we, we know that he loves us and he cares for us but you know what he says to us how are things here have you taken care of business here? Look at chapter 5, verse 23. 5.23 says, If we are presenting your offering at the altar, and they remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go first be reconciled to your brother, 
and then come and present your offering. Why would God say that? Why, why can't we just forget it? And he says, no, I want you to make things right. Because until you make things right, you're an obstacle of what my work is in that other person's life. I want you to remove every obstacle. And so if you're coming before me and, you, and it comes to your mind, man, I, I remember, boy, I, I just said some things I should never have said. I did some things I should not have done. You just stop. And you go make it right. And your heavenly father who sees it in secret will greatly reward you. That's what he promises. That's what he says. You know what's challenging about doing that? Got to humble yourself. You got to eat crow. You got to go to somebody and you need to say, listen. And you got to owe it. Own it. What I did was so wrong. What I said to you. I should never have said, I, I was so wrong. And we don't excuse it. We don't say, listen, I, I know what I said was wrong, but. <laughs> no, you say, you know, what I did was just wrong. I should not have responded that way. I was so wrong. Would you forgive me? No, 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 I really. I, I want us to have a good relationship. And what I told the Saturday night crew, I said, if you're coming to Saturday night because of who's there at nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> You need to go take care of business. <laughs> if you're at 11 because of who someone, because someone might be there at 9, you need to go take care of business. The Lord wants us to take care of business so that you and I are, to, to the best of our ability, are at peace with all men. And when that, does, then when that happens, obstacles are removed by God, by the way in which God might reach that person's life and heart for him. So we need to take care of business. We need to have a clean heart with God and man. And then lastly, look at this verse 13. We need to recognize that we can't do life without him. We can't do life without him. There's some folks who think they can and they find that they're standing on sinking sand. But here, look at this. And do not lead us in temptations. This is how we should pray. Lord, don't lead me into temptation today. Deliver me from evil. And the Lord does not tempt us in any way. That's what James 1.13 says. The Lord is not the author of temptation, but we have an adversary, the devil, who's prowling around every single day looking for someone like you and me to devour and chew up. And when we have the armor of God off, when we are not prepared for the spiritual battles ahead of us, we are fresh meat to him. You get, get what I'm saying? And we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your protection today. I need your deliverance today. Lord, would you guard my steps so I do not walk into temptation today? Or, say, or even, Lord, would you help me that when the temptation comes that I choose the way of escape because you promise you'll provide it. I just need help choosing it. Lord, I, I need you today to walk with me today wherever you would have me to go. So we need to recognize that we can't do life without him. And look at the last part here. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Lord. This is all about you today. My job is all about you today. My home, it's all about you today. Because, Lord, it's all about you and your kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And, Lord, may I be a representative of that in your life today. So I have a few recommendations for you that there are on your sheet. One is that you establish an appointment to meet with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to give the Lord the best part of your day. Now, you may have to carve that out. You, may, you look at your time, and you look at your schedule. And, and I know when we talk about prayer, the first response is, man, Lonnie, you just don't know how busy I am. That's the work of the enemy. 
But we look at it, we take control, and we look at it, Lord, I'm going to give you this part of the day. This is going to be your time. I'm going to have coffee with you today. I'm going to meet with you today. And I'm going to find this place where I'm not going to be interrupted. And maybe you have to tell your family, your children, listen, mommy and daddy, they're praying today. Don't interrupt us because we're meeting with the Lord today. Or maybe if you're, you're in a marital situation, you know, the husband guards the time, you know, let's leave mommy alone. She's meeting with Jesus today or vice versa. And maybe it's just getting up an hour earlier. That means going to bed an hour earlier. But Lord, this is going to be your time. One of my favorite pastors talks about where is your chair? And he challenged a marketing executive. He says, where is your chair? Where do you go to meet with the Lord? Where do you go? Where's the spot where it's just you and him meeting together and having coffee together? So my encouragement is say you have an appointment with, with the Lord. And then you come prepared to meet him. And by that, it means that you have your Bible open because God speaks to us not in a vacuum. He speaks to us through his word. And so when I spend time with the Lord, I'll have my Bible here. Sometimes I'll go into YouTube and I'll play some worship songs. Uh, I have a journal, and we have some good journals out there where uh, the Nook can help you with. I write my prayers out. I find that to be very helpful to me, helps me to stay focused. But I, I spend time with the Lord, and I love to write, and I write letters to the Lord. And you'll see in my journal, I wrote in this morning, good morning, Lord. You know, thank you for, can you say this? Lord, thank you for rest. <laughs> Sometimes as you get older, you don't sleep through the night quite as well. Lord, boy, I had a restful sleep last night. Lord, that's a gift from you. The day is a gift from you. And just beginning in right out some of the concerns and hearts of your heart. So anyway, you come prepared with the Lord. You've got your Bible ready to go. You're not spending an hour trying to find it. And then, boy, you know, turn this stuff off. You turn off your cell phone. You turn off the TV. You don't check your emails. Because it's just he and you. I mean, you don't like going to, out with somebody, right? And they're busy looking at their phone and I don't have any connection with you. No, you put all that stuff away just so you can be eyeball to eyeball with that person. And then you find a quiet spot. Find a place where it's just you and the Lord. It's interesting, when you, when you look at Jesus as you study his life, this will show up again and again and again and again in the Gospels. They didn't have Motel 6s in those days. Sometimes they stayed at homes. A lot of times they just camped out. And when they camped out, guess who was up first? Jesus. And I could just see Peter getting up early, thinking he got up early, looking over, and Jesus is gone. And the disciples are saying, where's Jesus? <laughs> oh, he's over there. Over there on that hill. He's always there on the hill praying. Why did Jesus go to the hill to pray? Why would Jesus need to find a quiet spot to pray? The God of the universe who spoke all things in existence, why did he need to pray? In his humanity, he longed for the fellowship he had with the Father. But you know what was going on in those conversations? Jesus was getting his assignment. Jesus later tells his disciples, I don't say anything that my Father doesn't want me to say. I don't do anything that my Father doesn't want me to do. So somewhere between John 3 and John 4, Jesus has a quiet time with his father, and his father gives him an assignment. Jesus says, where do you want me to go, Dad? I want you to go to Samaria. Really? I know the guys aren't going to want to go there. Well, I want you to go there, and I want you to be there by noon, because there's going to be a lady who's going to be coming, carrying a jug. You'll recognize her. She'll be the only one. But I have a divine appointment for you. 
and I want you to be there. When you have that in your mind, you, you begin to see all the unique divine appointments that Jesus had carried out. And he had communion with the Father before many of those occasions happened. The Lord wants to do the same for you. He says that you and I are his workmanship, that, we, that he has prepared things beforehand that we should walk in. That's Ephesians 2.10. So he has an assignment for you on Monday. Wouldn't it be good to check in with him? <laughs> And to say, Lord, I don't know what my assignment is this day, but I want, my, I want the Holy Spirit to give me some really sharp ears and eyes that I might see what it is that you want me to do. I want to be ready for the divine appointments you have for me. For the last several weeks, I've not had a teaching assignment. And so I've been out on the patio and other places, and I ask in the early in the morning, so Lord, I know you have things prepared beforehand that I shall walk in, so Lord, would you be, help me to be attentive to the divine appointments that you would have for me? And the last several weeks I've been sharing with my wife, man, I just had an incredible divine appointment today. It is amazing how God provides these connections that only he could have connected me with. It wasn't a coincidence. It was his orchestration. And it helps me to be aware of those occasions if I meet with the boss first. And that's not my wife. It's my heavenly father. I spend time with him. And he wants to do the very same thing with you. Get an appointment, be prepared, turn the stuff off, find a quiet spot. So here's my question. Where do you go to meet with God? Do you have a place? Does a place come to your mind? I had a guy come to me just right after the service. Yeah, I have a place. My closet is my prayer closet. <laughs> Literally goes there. Find a place. It's just you and God. And then if you were to have coffee with God, what would you talk to him about? That's why I like journaling. Because you can just write all those things down. And as you have questions, boy, the Bible becomes a source for those answers. And he calls you to obey him. So I want to give you a 30-day challenge. It's interesting when you look at Matthew chapter 6, which is one of the longest passages of scripture on prayer and how to pray. It's interesting that Jesus did not prescribe and and, uh, prescribe certain things. You notice that he doesn't say, this is how you should pray in terms of posture. He doesn't say that. Make sure you fold your hands and close your eyes and don't even blink a little, look, wink a little bit. Don't do that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, make sure you pray five times a day at these specified times. It doesn't say that. If he did, wouldn't you do it? I mean, if, if, he, if he did say, I want you to pray exactly these hours of during the day, wouldn't you do it? And if, he, if there was a certain form, wouldn't you do it? But would your heart be there? See, that, that's what happens when we start formulating these things. You've got to do this, 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 and this. We'll do it, but our heart's not there. And what the Lord wants is our heart. He gives us the freedom to seek him with all of our heart when we think, Lord, this is, I, I, this is going to be your time. But I want to suggest three different ways to pray over the next 30 days. One is start your day out with what, how we've just done this here today, walking through the Lord's Prayer. Now, you may, you know, recite it, but boy, I want you to think through every line by line what each one of us is meaning and use that as a guideline for how you pray and as you begin your day. And then as you come to a noon hour, maybe over your lunch hour, you take a little time, you spend time, and you lift up those that you know are lost and are far away from the Lord. And lastly, you end your day with a, a time of gratitude before you shut everything down. You park yourself and you just say, God, you have been so good today. For the incredible divine appointment that I had for this or this and this and this for all that you've provided. Lord, I just give you praise and I give you thanksgiving. Three ways. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Have a time of prayer for those that are far away in your part, in your role in their life. And lastly, 
a time of gratitude. And boy, I encourage you, to, boy, some of us are better at it than others. You know, but journal, man, it's just a great way to help you focus and lay those things out. But however you do it, boy, just build your life of prayer. We want to be our great help and encouragement. If you've come today and you've been carrying some heavy burdens, our altar room is going to be open and, and there's people there that love to connect with you and to pray with you and encourage you and renew your hope that's in the Lord to whatever it is. I'm going to be in the altar, uh, not the altar, but in the welcome center. We'd love to meet you. If you're here for the first time, love to shake your hand and welcome you to Big Valley Grace. If you have some questions, love to connect with you for just a short while. But let's be people of prayer here at Big Valley Grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity, Lord, today to represent you here this morning and open up your word and to teach it. Lord, I pray that you would speak and you would teach, that we would be a people wholly yours, that we would pray and we would be your agents of mercy and grace to those, Lord, who are far away. Man, Lord, our community so badly needs you. Man, we've lost our, we've lost our anchor. We are, even as a nation, so badly adrift. Your judgment's even coming upon it, Lord. And so, Lord, for whatever purpose you would have in each of us as you scatter us to the wind here after today, may we shine brightly for you. May we be like that light that's set on the hill that all would see your grace and mercy and come to know you better. So work in our lives, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.